Chapter 11 of St. Ignatius Loyola by F.A. Holmes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Toad of Toad Hall. Chapter 11 The Legacy. It was often remarked during the lifetime of St. Ignatius that if the society enjoyed for any length of time, and this was rare, untroubled peace and prosperity, the general would become anxious and uneasy. He was a firm believer in the truth that whom the Lord loveth, he chastiseth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. The cross for him was the very seal of God's approval on his work. Without it, he feared that all might not be well. We are told that Ignatius, coming out of his oratory one day, with a joyously radiant face, was met by Ribadeneria, who asked him, What grace has God given to you, father, that you look so happy? The Lord, replied the saint, has promised me in answer to my earnest prayer that the society shall never be without the cross. Never has a promise been more faithfully fulfilled. You shall be hated by all men for my name's sake, became true indeed of the company of Jesus, from the very moment it bore the name of Jesus. The very title Jesuit was a term of contempt, originally bestowed on the sons of Ignatius by Calvin, who had his reasons for disliking them. The spirit in which the saint was wont to meet expressions by open enmity is delightfully shown by a letter addressed to a gentleman who had conveyed to him an abusive mission from a Spanish friar, sir. Pray tell Fray Babadon that as he declares that he would wish that all of ours who are living between Perpigan and Seville may be burnt as heretics, I declare and I wish that all his friends and acquaintances, not only between Perpigan and Seville, but all whom the world contains, may be fired and inflamed by the Holy Ghost, so that they may all come to great perfection be very distinguished in the glory of his divine majesty. So, too, you will tell him that our affairs are being gone into before the governor of Rome, and the vicar of his holiness, and the sentence is soon to be pronounced. If he have anything against us, I invite him to depose to it, or to prove it before these judges. For I should prefer, if guilty, to pay for it, and to suffer for it. In my own person, than that all those between Perpigan and Seville should be burnt. Signed Inigo. But it is easier to deal with an open foe than a secret slanderer. From the account of the Last Supper, it is evident that the apostles were entirely ignorant of the treachery of Judas, even though he had been living with them in the closest intimacy. Sin had crept, at first almost imperceptibly, into his heart, gradually taking possession of the whole man, until, in the terrible words of the gospel, Satan entered into him. In the society of Jesus, as in all religious orders, there have been traitors to men who have gradually given way to the temptations of the evil one, until their real character could lie, no longer hidden, and they stood revealed in their true colors. Nothing remained for that company, with which they had no longer anything in common, 
but to cut off the branch from the tree and to expel the unworthy member. The world would hesitate to accept as trustworthy the testimony of a clerk dismissed for misconduct against the business firm who had dismissed him. The evidence of a servant sent away without a reference would be taken with caution against her mistress. Yet the witness of one expelled from the society has always been accepted by many as unquestionably fair and truthful, no matter how monstrous his assertions may be. He knows more about the matter, and is altogether more to be trusted than the body which has expelled him. He has lived among the Jesuits and knows them. His expulsion is, of course, due to the fact that he is too honest and a brighter man for such a community. So reason the enemies of the society. Such men as these have been amongst the most bitter of its antagonists, and have done the most of blackening its reputation. Such was Arosk, the inventor of the Moneta Secreta, or secret orders, a supposed code of instructions, known only to the superiors of the society, by which they are bound to enrich and exalt their order by any means in their power, be they fair or foul. If pitch is thrown, the saying goes, some will stick. And in spite of the fact that the story of the Monita Secreta was pronounced by the cardinals of the Holy Congregation to be false, defamatory, and calumnious, there remain to this day people who believe it. This, however, is only the first of a series of slanders that were to continue even to our own days. Who has not heard the story of a Jesuit is compelled to obey his superior, even though he should be ordered to commit a murder? Now a Jesuit's vow of obedience binds him to do what his superior commands, in as far as these commands entail nothing sinful, contrary to the law of God, or the just laws of the state. But there are always people to be found who know more about the rules and customs of religious than they do themselves, and prejudices die hard. That the society gives its members permission, and even encourages them to do evil that good may come, is another calumny. That still finds many believers, though not among those familiar with the teachings of the Catholic Church, that if a man might save the whole world by committing one venial sin, it would be wrong for him to do it. Ignatius himself would meet all such calumnies, always accepting accusations of heresy, with a determined silence, and would tell his brethren that to live the slanders down was their best and wisest defense. To return good for evil, or this word, not permissible, to ignore the evil was his plan of actions in all cases, and he lived to see its wisdom. The lives of the Jesuits, their labors, their humility, their poverty, their patience, are answer enough. Let all our study be to have an upright intention, not only in our state of life in general, but also in our particular actions proposing nothing else to ourselves than to serve and please God. And this rather through love and gratitude to him than through fear of punishment or hope of reward. This is the end set before the society by an holy founder in the Constitutions.
How far that end has been attained is known to God, of all races, of all nations, and in all climes, yet one in aim and effort, the sons of St. Ignatius, for hundreds of years, have labored on the earth, with the teachings of their fathers in their hearts. What has been the result? The Society of Jesus counts on its role 13 canonized saints, as of 1919. Countless martyrs, many others who have been named blessed or venerable by the Church. Among these, not to mention the glorious name of St. Francis Xavier, Blessed Peter Favre, or Faber, and St. Francis Borgia, with whom we are already familiar, are to be counted St. Peter Canisius, the brilliant disciple of Favre, who labored so long and unwittingly in Germany, St. Alicius Gonzaga, St. Stanislaus Koska, Two young saints whose beautiful lives have been an inspiration to many of their own age. St. Edmund Campion, our famous English martyr, beloved by all, whose brilliant talents won the admiration of Queen Elizabeth, who is later to sign his death warrant. St. John O'Gill, the gallant Scotch martyr, whose last word on the way to his cruel death was a blessing in exchange for a curse. St. Peter Clairvaux, the slave of the slaves, who passed his life ministering to the wants of the Negroes amid the filth and disease of the slave ships. Blessed Charles Spinola, missionary to Japan, exposed for three years in the scorching rays of the sun in a wooden cage, in company with twenty or thirty other prisoners, then burnt alive. St. John de Brito, Tracked by the Brahmins through the forests of India like a wild beast, and at last taken prisoner and beheaded. After having converted whole districts to Christ. St. Francis Regis, zealous lover of souls, an unwearying labor in his Lord's vineyard. St. Claude de la Colombier, chaplain of the beautiful and unfortunate queen of James II a promoter of the devotion of the Sacred Heart, Pere de Ravien, who, by his preaching, brought the young men of France from the unbelief that followed in the wake of the revolution to the faith of Christ. These are but a few of the noble and illustrious names on the roll of the society, and what of all the unnumbered rank and file of God's own soldiery, those whose labors have been nonetheless blessed because hidden, whose merits are known to God alone. From his place in heaven, Ignatius, the soldier, saint of Christ, looking down upon his army, sees its trials, its sufferings, its triumphs, and its labors, and surely says, Well done. End of chapter 11. End of St. Ignatius Loyola by F.A. Forbes.